Remain standing and open your Bibles to the book of Luke chapter 7. Today I'm beginning part one of a sermon on the resurrection. He's alive again. And today is about death. <laughs> Two weeks from today I'll preach a message about the resurrection. I'm looking forward to sharing some precious truths. But today from the book of Luke chapter 7 verses 11 through 16, the title of my message, Weeping Turned into Joy. Weeping turned into joy. Luke chapter 7, beginning with verse 11. And it came to pass the day after that he went into a city called Nain, and many of his disciples went with him, and much people. Now when he came nigh to the gate of the city, behold, there was a dead man carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow, and much of the people of the city was with her. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said unto her, Weep not. I want you to look carefully at that. Weep not. And he came and touched the buyer, and they that bare him stood still, and he said, Young man, I say unto thee, Arise. I want you to take note of that word, Arise. And he that was dead sat up and began to speak. And he delivered him to his mother. And there came a fear on all, and they glorified God, saying that a great prophet is risen up among us, and that God hath visited his people. You may be seated. Everywhere you look, and what you see on television and read in the newspapers and magazines, they're talking about horrendous events that cost human lives, great tragedies, and then it lasts for week after week after week after week, trying to get to the bottom of these things. And people are treated to a culture of death. We're interested in things that are horrific, just ordinary good news hardly makes it to the front page anymore. It's the bad things. I must tell you that it's not wrong to shed tears. Tears are a language that God understands. It speaks volumes with groanings that cannot be uttered. Those tears coursing down your cheeks tell God a lot. There's something coming out of your human soul and spirit that you can't express in words. And the crystal eye ducts flow with a stream of grief and sorrow and heartache. And God looks on and he says, I know what everything is being said. Tears are a language God understands. It's the silent outpouring of the soul. He understands the language of tears. In the 8th chapter of Romans, verse 26 and 27, everyone should know this because it's a Pentecostal reference. Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities. For we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And he that searcheth the hearts knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit, because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. We understand this refers to praying with unknown tongues. 
when you don't know what to pray for and you're praying in the spirit as we're taught in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. We know that we should pray with the understanding and we should pray in the spirit also. We should sing with the understanding and we should sing with the spirit also. It's the language that God gives us through the baptism of the Holy Spirit to be able to speak in an unknown tongue and tell God things that we really don't know how to express. But sometimes you're just crying and tears are flowing. And God sees and reads every word that is being expressed. Here we're told that we know not what we should pray for. We really do not have the comprehension, the understanding to tell God everything that we want to relate to him. And so we're just groaning. The Spirit is making intercession to God for us with groanings that cannot be uttered. God knows what the mind of the Spirit is. The Holy Spirit reads our heart, reads our soul, reads our spirit, and then he utters to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ the burden of our heart, the brokenness, the tears, and the will of God becomes the focus of the Spirit's intercession for us. He maketh intercession according to the will of God. How many of you know that all of our prayers are not according to the will of God? Sometimes we're very selfish and we focus on material things rather than spiritual things and we're not concerned too much about the will of God. But when the Spirit makes intercession, it is according to the will of God. And so oftentimes your tears may be provoked not just by the circumstances but by the tenderness of your heart and spirit and soul reaching out, oh God, help me. I don't know what to do. I don't know what to say. I don't even know how to tell you what I need, but the spirit is moving through my spirit and I'm manifesting that through tears. I know one thing, we're not prepared to accept death. We try to postpone it. We don't want to die. We cling to life. We don't want to let go. We want to hold on as long as we can. Life support systems are brought into play and we're trying to preserve a faint heartbeat as long as we possibly can. We stand our vigil around our loved ones or maybe even on the bed ourselves. We know what's transpiring and we're holding on until finally we let go. We're hoping for a turnaround. We're hoping for a miracle. And miracles do happen. People are raised from their deathbed. People have come off of life support and lived a meaningful life. People have come out of comas and tell their loved ones, I heard every word that was said in my room while I was in that coma. And so God is a God of miracles. We need to always remember that. But we also must remember that death is inevitable. We have a rendezvous. We can't cancel that, we can't postpone that. There is a rendezvous with death. The best that we can do is only postpone it momentarily until eventually our appointment will come around. Do you know something? Let me help you today. No one lives to be 200. I don't know anybody that's 200 years old. Very few people make it to 100. We do have some in our congregation that are in their 90s. Thank God. And they're lovely people filled with life and energy. I envy them because they're so energetic. 
We have a few that have made it in the Niners. But most of us are going to live a shorter lifespan. Most of us will leave sooner than that. Here are some facts that Pastor Gary quoted in a sermon, and I've done it once before. I want to leave them with you once again. If you're 30 years old and you live to be 75, you have 2,340 weeks left in this world. If you're 40 and you live to be 75, you have 1,820 weeks left. If you're 50 and you die at 75, you have 1,300 weeks left. If you're 60 and live to be 75, 15 more years, you have 780 weeks left to live. If you're 70 and live to be 75, you have 260 weeks left in your lifespan. If you're 75, you're on borrowed time. Funeral flowers are already blooming. Many people here today have already lived out 25% of their lifespan. Some have lived out one-third. Some have lived out one-half of their lifespan. Some of us, including myself, have already lived a majority of our lifespan, maybe as much as 85%. Of, now, when you put it in percentage perspective, that makes you feel close to that rendezvous. 85% of my life over, very likely, very likely, Notice my text in verse 12. There was a dead man. There are always dead people. It's a bold announcement in the Bible. There was a dead man. A woman, a mother was dealing with that. People were dealing with that. Jesus had to deal with that. The death certificate had been signed. The body was in the coffin, being transported to the gate of the city. They usually buried them immediately following the death. And the mourners were accompanying the widow woman. She was a widow. And verse 12 says she was carried out. Now you walked into this building today, but one day you'll be carried in. Think about that. Maybe you never want to go to a funeral because you don't like to think about death. One day you will. One day you'll be carried. You won't be walking. You won't be driving. You're going to be carried there and lowered into a grave. It's not a pleasant thought, maybe. Others will carry you. Some people will not come to the house of God because it reminds them of their responsibility to God. One day they'll be brought to the house of God or they'll have a service by the graveside. Whatever the case, one day some words will be spoken by their grave. Man comes forth like a flower and he is cut down like the grass. The Bible says they were nigh unto the gate of the city of Nain. The dead were always buried outside of the city unless they were royalty or maybe a priest, somebody very important. They were allowed to have a tomb within the gates of the city. But most of the dead were brought to the gate and the mourners followed. They went outside the city to a cemetery and there they were buried. They were nigh to the gate of the city of Nain. He was the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. That's double trouble. Double trouble. She was a widow. 
No one was there to take his place. Her son is dead. She's a widow. Her son is dead. That's double trouble for a, a person in her situation because she would not be able to provide for herself. There was not much of a welfare program or social security or death benefits. She must deal with a lot of things that people have to deal with in this world when death comes around. And one of our loved ones leaves. People deal with depression. If we're not careful, we'll lapse into depression, we'll retreat from society, and we'll be a spiritual hermit. You can't afford to let that happen. I'm glad to tell you that Jesus' presence at the gate that day turned that woman's sorrow into joy. He's always available. He's always near. He's not afar off. He's able to help us, and he was able to help this widow woman. Second, she's going to have to learn to deal with loneliness. No one likes to be alone. I mean, people think they do, and they will avoid crowds, and they will stay at home, but they're miserable. They're not happy. They don't have joy. It's a life of misery. So don't be a hermit. Get with people. Learn people's names. Shake hands with people. Greet people. Be friendly. And if you be friendly, then you'll have friends. But she would deal with loneliness because people didn't have a lot of time. For widow women, with no support, they might have to support her themselves. She's got to learn to deal with sadness and sorrow. No one can escape that completely. There are some sad things and some sorrowful things in our life. But I'm here to tell you, and happily I can tell you this morning, Jesus bore our griefs and carried our sorrows. So at the gate, they met the man that knew about sadness and sorrows because he's going to Calvary and he's going to bear our griefs and carry our sorrows to Golgotha's hill and pay the price. I want to tell you if you're dealing with sadness and if you're dealing with sorrow, he paid it all. Jesus paid it all. Jesus paid it all. And all to him I owe. She's got to deal with fear. Fear of the future. How is she going to pay her bills? How is she going to manage her finances? No one to provide for her. There's another kind of death in the community. There are people who are spiritually dead. People who have allowed themselves to drift into a lifestyle where they've lost all sense of decency. And they're dead in trespasses and in sins and in degradation. And the filth of this world has corrupted their life. And it's like as if they were a dead person. I want to tell you, there are things in this life that can bring that about. You need to resist that temptation to follow that path. Alcoholism, drug addiction will take you down that road where you feel spiritually dead. You feel like there is no future. There is no hope. You are lonely. You are sad. You're afraid of the future. Immorality and sexual perversion will lead you down that path. There are people who are spiritually dead. There are people who are dead because of not some great uh, horrible thing like that, but they don't read the Bible every day. They're spiritually dead because they don't pray every day. They attend church very casually, and they do very little to motivate their family to have a spiritual family altar and spiritual life. They're dead in their trespasses and sins, and they're dealing with death. I'm glad to tell you that Jesus knows exactly where you are at the gate. When you came in the doors today, you may have come 
impressing people that everything's fine, everything's lovely. People even ask you, how are you? I'm wonderful, I'm great. Well, deep down inside you're hurting and you need to understand there's one at the gate that knows the sorrow, knows the pain, knows the heartache, knows the depravity, knows the future. She was weeping. She didn't try to cover hers up. She displayed her emotions. She was weeping. But Jesus said to her in verse 13, Weep not. Weep not. He did not make light of her tears. Jesus didn't make light of this widow woman's tears, but he said weep not because he knew what he was going to do. He himself shed tears. The shortest verse in the Bible, John eleven thirty five, 35, says, Jesus wept. He wept? The Son of God? The man who told her, weep not? He wept. He stood and looked over the city of Jerusalem, and he said, he cried, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how oft would I have gathered thee as a hen doth gather her brood under her wings, and you would not, therefore, your house is left unto you desolate. He wept because he knew the destruction that was going to come upon Jerusalem. He could see the plunder, the fires, the blood, and the people suffering, the hardship that was coming because they rejected him as the Messiah, the Son of God, God's gift of life. And he knew that they were bringing this desolation upon themselves. He wept over Jerusalem. He wept in the, in the Garden of Gethsemane when he looked into that cup and he saw the bitter dregs inside of that cup and he said, Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. Jesus wept because he saw the suffering, he saw the greed, he saw the heartache, he saw the sins, the depravity inside that cup and he had to drink those bitter dregs and he who knew no sin became sin for us. He paid for our sins. He bore our griefs and our sorrows in his own body on the tree. He said in Mark chapter 14 and verse 24, my soul is exceeding sorrowful even unto death. The son of God. In Matthew 26 and verse 37, he began to be sorrowful and very heavy. Jesus was an emotional person. And so he was emotional when he thought about the sins of the human family that they had brought this upon them, now he must pay the price. He must take those sins upon himself and be the ransom and pay the price that we could be redeemed as they were singing earlier today. He came to the gate where the woman was weeping and he took out his physician's bag. This past week on Friday, we saw the rescue unit and a fire truck pull up to a neighbor's house. Six firemen and rescue people rushed into the house and they brought the lady out on the gurney and placed her in the rescue unit and took her off to the hospital. But I saw them take their bags in with them. These were life-saving implements and gauges and determining what the situation was and whether or not she needed to go to the emergency room. And finally, the decision was made. Jesus came to the gate and he set his bag down and he opened it up. And he found in that, inside that bag some things to help this widow woman. He found faith. He found power. He found deliverance. He found life. And he said, weep not. Weep not. He knew what he was going to do. In his name, you can have faith for whatever's going on around your life. 
Jesus was in the crowd that day. Do you know something? He's here. I don't see him, but he's here. He's over here. He's up there. Over here, back under the balcony. He's here. I feel him. Jesus is near. He is near to the situation, to the problems that you have been introduced to, to the sadness, to the sorrow, and all the pain and the wounds that have been inflicted upon you. Jesus is near. He's here at the gate. He's here in this room today. I feel him. Do you feel him? Welcome him. Welcome him. Welcome his presence. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. You're about to be resurrected. You're about to come out of your coffin. You're about to come out of the situation that's had you down. Your tears are about to stop. Joy is about to invade your life. Jesus is here. Praise God. He had compassion on her. He touched the coffin. And he touched this man. And he was himself touched with a feeling of infirmity for this dear widow woman. Do you know, at the right hand of the Father, he is making intercession according to the will of God. He is still our high priest, touched with a feeling of our infirmities. You may think there's no hope. You may think that nobody cares. Nobody can help you. I want to tell you, it's never too late. It's never too late that already prepared this man to be buried. He was at the gate. The mourners were following along. Sympathy was being poured out. But nobody had any hope. Nobody was operating in faith. You know, people think, well, unless everybody around has faith, no miracles can, can occur. Jesus was the only man in the crowd that had faith that day. But he knew what he was going to do, so he said, stop the crying. Weep not. No need to weep any longer. <laughs> then he touched the coffin in verse 14. He touched it as they were taking him to the grave. There's a story of a man by the name of Gordy Frederick from Tacoma, Washington. He enlisted in the Navy. He was on board the USS California, which had been sunk in Pearl Harbor, but was refloated and outfitted for war. When once again, it was stuck, and a lot of his comrades died, and the dead people were just piled high and being put in body bags. Gordy was pronounced dead, and they were getting ready to put him in a body bag. He could hear them talking. He had been a crew on this ship, and now then, crew member, as they put him into the body bag, they discovered that he was still alive. And on February the 15th, 1945, he was able to pick up the telephone and call his daddy, who thought he was dead, and think what a surprise it was when Gordy called home and said, I'm alive. I believe there's some people in this room today that are going to surprise society. You're going to surprise your family. You're going to surprise your friends who thought that you were dead, twice dead. You're down for the count. You're never coming back. There's no hope for you. You might as well give it up. But Jesus is going to touch your life. And resurrection power is going to bring you back to life. 
Sin is destructive. Let me read to you some things that if, if people get involved in these lifestyles, they're not going to inherit the kingdom of God. Galatians chapter 5, beginning with verse 19. Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like. Of the which I tell you before, as I have told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, brother, sister, I want to tell you something. Here it is in the book. You can take it or leave it. You can believe it or you can doubt it. You can disbelieve it if you want to, but it's still true. People involved in that lifestyle are not going to inherit the kingdom of God. And if I were you, if I was guilty of any of those sins, I would turn immediately and call out for mercy and ask God for his grace and forgiveness and repent of your sins, confess your sins, come to Jesus. He stands with outstretched arms saying, come unto me all ye that are weak and heavy laden and I will give you rest. And I, you'll find rest unto your souls. He wants you to come, come with your burdens. Suddenly Jesus touched this young man and said, young man, I say unto thee, arise. Young man, I say unto thee, arise. Some of you feel like there's no hope. People have given up on you. Your family's given up. Society's given up. And you're still an alcoholic. You're still a drug addict. You're still perverted. You're still doing things that are wrong, and you know that you just can't change yourself. The leopard cannot change his spots. But I want to tell you, God can change you. God can change you. I have a word for you that God has given to me. And it's from the Lord Jesus Christ. It's one word. Arise. 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 Get up out of your sin. Get up out of your failure. Get up out of your depression. Get up out of your sickness. Get up out of your defeat. Arise. It's not too late. The mourners may be singing a sad tune. That's why I like to have in the church services lively music because I don't want people to become mourners in here. I want people to celebrate life. It's a new day. It's a new day. The man with authority says, arise. And I believe he spoke to me to speak it over this congregation today. Young and old, no matter what it is that causes you to feel defeat and depressed and lonely and sad and have sorrow, Jesus is speaking to you and he says, arise, arise. In verse 15, he that was dead sat up and began to speak. It's time for you to start talking. It's time for you to start singing. It's time for you to start testifying. A young man came to me today and shared the tither's blessing of how God had changed things on his job and turned things around and an unusual promotion, an increase in salary and a bonus. Because, and, and I've seen this young man down in, in the doldrums. I've seen sadness and I've seen wonderment if ever things were going to get better. But today he's singing. <laughs> I, I want your night to be turned into day. 
Weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. Stand, please. I'm going to pray a simple prayer. I'm going to ask God to forgive us for our sins. Blot out every transgression. Come into our heart. Be the Lord of our life. Will you pray this prayer with me out loud, everyone? Dear God in heaven, I'm sorry for my sin. I confess my doubt and unbelief. I'm sorry that I have borne this grief alone. I want you to take it from me and restore the joy and give me life and peace. I confess my sins. I ask your forgiveness. I invite you into my heart to be the Lord of my life. Thank you for hearing my prayer. In the name of Jesus. With your heads bowed and eyes closed, if you prayed that prayer and you are away from God, maybe backslidden, I want you to lift your hands and say, Pastor, I did pray that prayer and I meant it. And I want God's forgiveness. I accept His forgiveness. I believe He heard me. Just raise your hand wherever you are. Yes, thank you. Thank you. Yes, in the back, in the balcony, anywhere else, all over the room. Yes, God bless you. Just slip it up and down. Right quickly. Yes, I see you. I see you. Praise God. Praise God. This is a moment of miracle. When God gave me this message, I've never preached this sermon before, but I, I want you to know that He gave me faith in the resurrection. I'm going to preach the second part of the sermon two weeks from today on the resurrection. And so I believe that God gave me faith that people are going to rise. They're going to sit up. They're going to start talking. They're going to testify. They're going to witness that Jesus is alive. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Now, if you prayed that prayer sincerely, you believe that God answered your prayer, and today you're ready to just start walking with Him, I want you to get out from where you're standing as we're singing. And I want you to walk down to the front so that we can have a closing prayer with you.
pray about anything, no matter what it is. Maybe you need someone to pray with you. We invite you to come. We're going to sing it through one more time. And no matter what your need is, if you want to be prayed for for sickness, you feel free to come right now. Someone will pray.
widow woman, her only son is dead, and she's fearful of the future. No one to provide for her. There's another kind of death in the community. There are people who are spiritually dead. People who have allowed themselves to drift into a lifestyle where they've lost all sense of decency. And they're dead in trespasses and in sins and in degradation. And the filth of this world has corrupted their life. 